Hey, welcome to the Africa Podcast. My name is Mikey Menna. Today we have another episode of Movie Night, and our special guest is Darin Hotet, who is the filmmaker and director behind the movie that we'll be discussing, Tallahassee. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and as I mentioned in the interview, if you'd like to watch the film, go over to YouTube and you can find it screening on the New Yorker YouTube channel. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome everyone to another episode of Movie Night. We're excited to join, um, to have our special guest join us, Dedin Hatet, who is a writer and film director. Her work focuses on the politics of identity, Arab and African diaspora, and science fiction. She has written and directed a dozen award-winning narrative films that can be seen on Sundance Channel, The New Yorker, AMC Networks, BBC, Forbes, Outfest, Now, Shorts TV, and a numerous Oscar-qualifying international film festivals <clears throat> Named on Disney Launchpad 2022 list of directors on the rise, Darin's latest film, Tallahassee, premiered at the 10th Black Star Film Festival. It was nominated for Best Narrative Short at the 22nd Woodstock Film Festival and received the Audience Award at the Mizna Film Festival. Tallahassee is what we're talking about today. And so with that, welcome Darin to Africa. Hi, Mikey, and hello, everyone. <clears throat> Thank you so much for this beautiful intro, and thank you for having me. I'm so excited about this. I also am very excited. We've been talking about this for quite some time, so um, it's really, really fun that we're able to do this. So let's start kind of at the beginning. Um, a lot of people who become filmmakers had been dreaming about being a filmmaker since they you know, were little kids, cross-legged, watching movies. Um, on the family room TV. From what I understand, that's not your experience. So what did you first start doing and how did that transition into filmmaking? You know, I, I recently started thinking about this because when I'm asked this question all the time, I'm like, what is really like my story? Because I never really like nailed the date where I, where I said to myself, oh, I'm gonna be a filmmaker. That I, I, don't, I don't recognize that date. And it was not really something that I've always wanted to do. I didn't know what film was about. I knew what film is, but what is it about? Like, what does it take to actually be a filmmaker? It's not like something that was familiar or around me. I didn't grow up in a household that kind of was, you know, um, uh, uh, supportive of, of film like that. So I just had to, you know, find my way to it. So it all started actually from me um, being very fascinated with literature and storytelling. So just having access to books was the beginning of it all. And just by reading books and stories and just like activating my imagination and starting to go places. And I'm like, I can just, you know, I, and whenever I, I later watched adaptations of those books, I was very disappointed. I'm like, I imagined this to be a completely different word and just like ruined my childhood. So I, you know, I, I started from that place with literature and stories and I was writing since I was a child. Um, and also at the time we really didn't have like access to going to the movies like that uh, growing up in Beirut during the war. And, you know, at home there was limited time when you can watch television because the news was the primary like, you know, thing to watch. Um, but also I do recognize that my older brother had an influence in that space because he used to watch a lot of movies and he was obsessed with movies. And we had like, uh, I don't know if you recognize like 
the old like cassette shops in like the neighborhood where you Again, go like chicos yeah. absolutely and you go like have like subscription and you pay i don't know like something and and just rent those like you know tapes and and yeah. watch so we had that but i was not the person who initiated this like i wasn't the person going and getting excited about picking up movies so whatever my brother was bringing home i would just sit and watch with him so that was kind of like the the start but later on when i was making a decision of like what do i want to study um first i was going for dance which is i know this is like news but but i, I not started... if somebody follows you on instagram it's okay. not <laughs> Yes, right. Uh, I studied dance since I was four. So I was more informed in that space um, uh, as a professional dancer. And I thought I was going to go to college and study dance and just become a dancer. And when I started doing that, I realized that that's not at all what I wanted to do. And it wasn't the way I was seeing the art of dance being like uh, in an institution. And then I started to think, okay, what do I do in my life now? So it was more of a question of survival. Like, what do I do in myself? What am I good at? Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I immediately knew that I wanted to be a storyteller. So, so it was really like I was pacing, collecting pieces of myself to form the filmmaker years later. However, yeah. I did go to film school right after after high school but i don't even know till today how did i look at like all the things and i was like this one i i don't know i don't know how it just landed on that but what i do know is having a very active imagination as a child and i think i i'm we maybe talked about this briefly before mm -hmm. and having you know a practice of lucid dreaming I wanted something that can combine the two, storytelling, literature, and that activated visual stimulation that's happening through lucid dreaming. And it could have been photography, you know, yeah. but it ended up being film. Up until today, I really don't know. But the more I studied film, the more I was doing film, the more I knew that like that subconscious calling was there. Um, from the start but I just did not know I kind of there was an inner guidance towards it that was not outspoken yeah I'm curious okay so I've never I've never done lucid dreaming um I'm fascinated by the idea um how much what is the level of fidelity from the dreams that you you have when you're lucid dreaming to the way it shows up on film afterwards um so it, it's it's kind of delicate because you know when you want to tell someone your dream and then once you start talking about it the dream just like the whole idea just gets crushed you know <laughs> to the dream to, to translate that is a really tough thing to do if you have not kind of mastered the practice of finding the links like finding the images, the symbols, the elements that keep on repeating. And this is what lucid dreaming is about. That's how you know that you are in a lucid dream. So once you start seeing those patterns, you realize that you would see patterns in all your dreams that are similar from one to the other. And you were just talking earlier something about mm -hmm. the films that have something connected. It's very much similar to how the brain works when we're dreaming or when we're lucid dreaming. So yeah. Once I found the pattern of the symbols and elements and even colors that 
are mine like they are part of my 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 dna structure like when I, even when i'm dreaming they exist and they just go there's like a thread that follows so that practice of translating something from one dream to the next without you intending to i kind of like grabbed to like grasp that and i was like okay how do i keep that like genuine and true mm -hmm. and translate it to an image so I would just like go for choosing one element instead of like overwhelming myself with an entire scene that I've imagined in my dream or that I had a dream of. I would just take the sensation. What did it make me feel um, in that moment? And if I can translate that feeling into another scene in a movie from the lucid dream to the movie, I could just take one element from the lucid dream, but keep the feeling. So the yeah. ground is the feeling and then the element the visual element would be just one i'm not like taking the exact recreating a scene all over again because that's nearly impossible okay i'm going to keep on moving because i want to insofar as um this is the movie night series the idea is that people have seen tallahassee beforehand um, but just in case they haven't i want to show three trailers to three of your projects um I say dust, like salt, and Tallahassee. And I'm going to show them back to back because for me, I feel like they're not, it's not a trilogy by any chance, but I feel like there's connective tissue. I feel like you're kind of unpeeling the same onion across all three of them. So let's, um, let's take a look at the first one, which is um, I say dust, which came out, I believe in 2016. Is that right? Oops. Uh, 2015. 2015. So if okay. I, if I mute myself, Mikey, just so you know, because I live next to the fire department, so I have to okay. mute okay, okay, you should be able to not. Okay. Um, all right, let's let's listen to the first one. I say dust. I like your curls. Where are you from? Black. He says, what's your valentine? I say, dust. He says, what is ice if not surgery? And what is constellation if not confetti? And what is land if not a mouth? And I mouth the things I love. So where are you from? He says, what's your valentine? I say, dust. Okay, we should say that that also... Um features Hala uh, Alian um, and is based on her poem, Valentine, um, which is also uh, ties into Tallahassee. Let's now watch um, Like Salt. And both of these, I should say, you can find uh, on Vimeo and uh, rent or purchase to watch. A country.
Yeah. If you're looking for a gun or something, I don't care any of that shit. Sorry for it. Okay, and that came out in 2018, I think, a few years later. And now let's watch the trailer to um, Tallahassee and then we'll dive right into it. Daddy, you want to say something? I see your mouth about to move. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Are you ready to go inside? Do I have a choice? We wanted to make sure you were home in time for Tita's party. <laughs> Don't they have sun in Florida? Mama didn't know what to tell everyone. So you told them Florida? It's winter. I thought someplace warm. Are you sick? I wish for strawberry ice cream. And now what happens? Your dream comes true. I was worried about you. Let's get you inside. I didn't ask you to lie to everyone in there. Come on, shoot my nanny. Come on, the same, Sammy. Mama, nobody cares how I look. Mama and I care. I'm your sister. I want to know what's going on. I can help. Okay. So, um, Dedeen, when you watch these back to back to back, do you think I'm crazy when I say I feel like there's some connective tissue? I've never really watched them back to back. So this, this was interesting to me as well. Um, definitely. I mean, um, I do recognize myself in my films. Um, not that they're like just personal, but um, I do recognize the pattern, as I said, like certain decisions that I make and, and like the, um, the tone, the, you know, the cinematography choices. Uh, I do recognize that now that I'm also watching again. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Usually I say um, that people who don't believe I'm in Beirut can trust I'm in Beirut because the, the Kaharaba goes out or something. Say, <laughs> I was going to say I'm in New York and like, you're it's definitely New loud, York. no matter what I do. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, no worries. No worries. But there is an annoying noise happening right now. But. It's okay. Um, so yeah, uh, maybe give us a sense of um, from from your perspective. What movie did you start making? What movie did you think you were making when you started this journey? And what movie did you end up making? The journey of Tallahassee. Yeah. You know. The beautiful thing about this project is that from the start, it was clear what we were doing. There was clarity from me and Hala Alian, who's the writer of the film. Um, and this was our second collaboration together. The first one was I Say Dust, where um, she was the lead actress. And I took one of her poems and injected it into the screenplay that I was writing. In Tallahassee, uh, we kind of, our collaboration just grew. And uh, we start to know each other more on like a personal level. So when Hela wrote the script of Tallahassee and sent it to me, when I read it, um, it was very clear what story is being told. And it was very clear what's the foundation of it. I knew that we're starting from a place that 
is not going to be changed because oftentimes when you're working on a film, you start from a draft of your script and then you end up somewhere completely different later. With this project, with this story specifically, that did not happen. We made, uh, when we started working after that first draft together, we made some adjustments, uh, new elements added, some more visual metaphors when I came on board as a director, things like that. But the foundation of the story and who the characters were came with so much clarity. And I think because a lot of it was familiar. We've, yeah. we've seen this in our families or families of people around us. Um, it was just very genuine and authentic that came from Hala. And also it came from her experience uh, working with her patients as well, because Hala is a clinical psychologist. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about that. What was it like? So the role of the, the director, as, as I understand it, is basically to like make sure that the actor's performances are in line with your vision for the story that, need to be, that needs to be told, right? Well, the director's job is to create a visual language for the story. Um, and that visual language also involves performances. Everything you see, the performances, the nuances, um, all of that comes together to, you know, lift the story from page to screen. Yeah. yeah. So what was it like directing? I mean, insofar as part of that responsibility includes directing Hello, um, who helped, you know, was helped um, birth the story. There isn't it a little tricky there because it's like who has um, is there ever disagreements on like um, the direction and uh, the approach to certain things and the emotions? Yeah, you know, uh, with Hala, it wasn't like that because it was, uh, you know, we were both on the same page. Uh, so we never really clashed in terms of story. Uh, and Hala was really very uh, graceful in receiving feedback from me as a director on how to improve certain scenes. We would have a lot of brainstorming sessions, discussions, questions uh, that come up. And we were all the time working as a team. We wanted the best story like the best story that can be told. So the dynamic between us is very healthy and doesn't really, there's no like, no one's leading with their ego or like, I'm doing this, you're doing, no, it's actually, we wanted the best story possible. And I would say like, I would, I'm, I'm privileged enough to be working with, with a writer who has so much sensibility for visuals because Hala comes from poetry and poetry is a visual language more, more than anything. So with the way she wrote the script, she allowed me as a director to have room to bring and lift up a lot of the visual language and just like dig in and find the metaphors and the, and the way everything's going to be represented. So we never really clashed. The, the interesting part is that I, I had to work with Hala on, on um, uh, acting and she kept telling me, let's rehearse, let's rehearse. I'm like, I'm not rehearsing with you. We're not rehearsing. I'm not rehearsing you. And she's like, no, I need to rehearse. And, the, and part of it is, of course, you need to build up the confidence. But I knew that once me and her are together, we've done this before. Yeah. And she wrote this character. She knows the character so much inside out that I did not have to give her a lot of... Um, I wasn't working with her on set a lot on like backstory or like bringing her to the spot. Cause you know how, when, when we're filming, you're not filming uh, in sequential order. You're just filming all over. One scene is at the end and then you jump into a scene in the middle. How do you keep that consistency and emotions? Yeah. Was great with her because she knew the character very well. I didn't have to ground her back into, okay, now this scene, you just did this before. This is how you feel now. 
she knew. And that made it a lot easier to, to be working like that. So I want to talk about the name. Hmm. Um, Tallahassee, okay, so uh, the, uh, the, the sort of the symbolism of the name or the meaning behind the name is that it's the lie, right? It's the lie that uh, Mira, the main character played by Hela's sister, makes up when she doesn't want to tell the family that her sister was in a psychiatric facility. And so they, she says she's in Florida and she makes, and she just pulls a name out of thin air and says she's in Tallahassee. Um, it is such a random choice, but what is the, what is the significance behind that? Is the randomness, that's the significance though, to be honest with you. It's just like the most random thing that makes no sense became like the, has, is now haunting their household. Um, so it is really like just making the lie very like um, unbelievable. Like you, you don't really, you, how do you believe that someone went on vacation to a random place like that, choosing to go inland instead of going, let's say to the beach or something. Yeah. And all that speaks to like how much they know each other. Because like if the sisters really know each other in that, like in the sense of like, what do they like? they she would say something different but that's another layer to it adding another layer that like the expectations have to align with what works for everybody not what works for you yeah yeah and it's like believing anything is better anything is more believable yes absolutely. than the idea that you you have um that you're dealing with this trauma or debilitated debilitating grief yeah. um let's talk about some of the symbols throughout the film so balloons play uh, are a very clear metaphor. Um, mm. And please excuse my screenshots, but um, <laughs> balloons are a clear metaphor that run throughout. Um, when did that sort of become part of the way you, uh, part of the like visual language of, of the film? Yeah, you know, we added the balloons at the end, like later on. So. I was, as I said, like I was working on the visual language and trying to find the metaphors in the film. And since like Hala wrote in the balloon of the little boy, I thought like, we need balloons. We need to use the balloons in, in, in other ways. Like this, you know, the balloons will become a symbol of, you know, carrying this weight that's actually very light, but you're feeling that it's, the, 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 what it symbolizes is so heavy. Like you have to carry happiness when you're actually sad. And this is, this is kind of, or like carry lightness when you're feeling heavy. That's a huge load. You know? <laughs> I was like, oh man, how beautiful. <laughs> now we can get real here. Yeah, so. we can get real. <laughs> Yes. Um, so yeah, that's 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 basically what I was thinking when I thought of having all of these balloons in the in the um, in the car, and then having her struggle taking the balloons out of the car. The thought was, I do want her to struggle, like to see her struggle with yeah. with this before we even know what this symbolizes when she enters the household. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like working with a like a very young, extremely young actor um, whose name I, I forget, uh, Malik maybe his last his yeah. first name, and then uh, the character's name is Rakan. What was it like working with him and 
how much did he understand about the broader mm. story that he was a part of? You know, I um, I think because <laughs> now the la my last two films had children in it, so everybody's now like, "Oh, you direct children?" I'm like, maybe yes, <laughs> probably I do. Well, in Tallahassee. Um, the, the Rakan character was already a very playful character, so it was really fun to to work with that kind of character, smart and playful. Mm -hmm. um, and when we cast Malik, honestly, we cast Malik like literally three, four days before the shoot. It was it, I was searching, looking for the child for a while, and it was so hard to find the child. Um, and then I think like just like that was the my my gift from the universe. Like here's the child of your dreams to play this role. And um, honestly, a, a big part of the process is that when you cast a child, you're casting their parents or you're casting their mother with them. And luckily, like the mom of Malik was very generous and with us to be there on set with us all the time to teach him his lines, to make him memorize his lines. Cause these are things that really are difficult to achieve if you're just, you know, shooting on a small budget, you know, within a few days. So yeah. a lot of that was done, you know, um, by the mom, just teaching the lines. And when I was working with him, the work was divided between me and whoever is in the scene with him, which is most of the time Hala. So when, when you're working with a child, you want them to be comfortable with the person who is performing with them in the scene, not just with you as a director. As a director, like you have to build the boundaries. They have to understand that you're not their friend. You are the director because they're then they, they, they you want them to listen to what you say and just keeping the fun just just I think number one rule working with children is to make it fun like playful yeah. and fun and that was you know big part of how I directed Malik it's just making every scene really fun and him understanding like this the the major themes of the film wasn't of concern because I think that was not really gonna translate so quickly but he understood a lot about the character of Mira like he understood like that she's sad she's coming from this and like probably she's sick and he doesn't mind asking her any questions like he just yeah. he, he's very observant he sees everything he was able to know that she's not okay Unlike yeah. all the others, the adults who were not, you know, aware of anything. Was the the character of Rakan always a boy? It's the only yeah. male character in the in the in the story. Um, was that yeah. a deliberate choice? Well, there is a character who's male, and there they just talk about him. It's the the grandfather. Oh, they, that's they right. Talk about the grandfather. So that is a character that's not on the screen, but it's a memory of oh. the patriarch of the family um and then there's a kind but yeah there that was a choice that was made that we want this to be an all-woman uh environment yeah okay on the other end of the age spectrum what was it like working with uh samia halabi um the the very very uh, renowned uh figure mm. I, I i find it really uh humorous that you you chose a shot where it says it's okay yeah. <laughs> it was way more than okay working with Tamiya. <laughs> so, 
Um, Samia was wonderful. Uh, honestly, um, I, I do feel very privileged that she she signed up to be part of the project. And um, she knew about it through the co-producer, Munir Atallah, who was co-producing the film. And they are related. So they're relatives. And uh, I was looking for the grandmother character who can speak fluently Palestinian dialect. And it was almost like impossible to find that person in New York and be willing to actually come on set and act. So we were really lucky to have Samia. Uh, Samia was really wonderful uh, during the table read. So there's like two segments for, for my story with Samia. The table read was where, you know, it was um, she asked some brilliant questions and, you know, she had some comments about like the dialogue and like the Palestinian dialect to get it right and all that, which I really enjoyed. But I kind of felt she wasn't yet sure if she can trust me as a director. And I can totally, you know, understand, like, of course, she's putting her, like, you know, herself in my hands. She's like, go ahead, show me the way you want to show me. So I was like, okay, this is a huge responsibility. Um, and then on set, and I remember the conditions weren't like very favorable. We're like shooting all day in a cramped like apartment, loud sounds, like things that I don't think, you know, were easy for Samia to tolerate. But she was very like gracious with the way she, she you know, she existed in that environment with us and delivered the, the best, you know, performance possible. And um, I had like, you know, when I was giving her directions, I was also like very... Um, you know, making sure to allow her to have that room to deliver what she would want, you know, like what, what she would, you know, um, she would see herself doing. So there was like a scene where she's like, I don't want to do that scene. And I understand why. And I was like, okay, cool. We, now, it was not like a whole scene. It was like a, just a segment of a scene. And Hala and I were like, fine, we're, we can take that out because we knew where she was coming from. And I think that was a great input on her end because cool. if we shot that, probably I might have not used it because it's not consistent with who Samia is. So we have to like make sure that we're not just doing a grandmother, but we're working with a figure like Samia. Like a three-dimensional. Yeah, yeah there, there was more to it than, than just that. And, um, yeah. and there was a, a very nice moment at the end of the shoot where she told me that um, she really enjoyed the experience it was challenging for her and she was very uh, anxious about what she's going to do and I was like you were anxious I, I, let me not tell you about me <laughs> what I was <laughs> feeling um, so yeah no it was just wonderful working with Samia she's such an incredibly intelligent uh, woman yeah I want to ask you so this film from my perspective is um, a film about America in many ways um, and I think all of your films are in some way, the, at least the ones I've seen definitively about the American experience as much as it, it's a, as it, they are about sort of an Arab American perspective. Um, do you, do you feel that, um, that is true? Are you sort of trying to, in some way, I feel like you're kind of talking to your family back home to be like, this is where I live. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, um, my family lives here. So like we're, my, my, my family has been here since the late like 70s in the States. But, you know, it's more of like, 
what I'm familiar with, what's, you know, some like portraying characters and stories that I feel they resonate with me on a personal level. And I'm, you know, I'm this, you, uh, like uh, my chemistry is now informed by more than one culture. So if I want to be genuine with my storytelling, it has to come from that place. It, it can't come from one place or the other. I'm not fully American. I'm not fully Lebanese. So my, my, my chemistry has been formed through my experience, my living experience, not just where I came from or where I was born or just where I'm living. It's that journey, every place I lived in, formed and, and, and like created something in me that is the today, is the, the, that constitutes what is today, my, me as a filmmaker. So my stories have to, you know, have to like honor that journey. You know, they can't just, you know, be one thing because I feel like that would not be genuine. And I wouldn't say that, you know, I wouldn't define myself as Arab American because saying Arab is very broad and saying American is also very broad. So I would not, I don't like definitions like that, that kind of like put you in a box and whoever has defined that box, you're placing yourself in that box that has been defined by somebody else. And it's not my journey. So my journey is not of an Arab American journey because I'm not even a first generation American. So it's, it's, it doesn't really uh, translate for me to take on that, um, that identity and write towards it or make movies towards it. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes a, a total sense. It yes. makes a hundred percent sense. Um, okay. I want to talk a little bit about, and I know I'm jumping around, but there's a lot to talk about. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, um, cinephilia. Um, mm. what is cinephilia? Cinephilia is like my baby. So <laughs> Cinephilia is a production company and it's also a talent incubator. Um, I founded Cinephilia in 2010 when I was just graduating from school. And uh, I was initially just producing my films under that company. And slowly I started forming a, another entity that was the incubator. And that incubator, its function is to champion filmmakers from uh, Arab and African uh, background, whether wherever they live in, in this world. Um, Arab meaning like the, all the Arab countries and African meaning all the African countries on the continent. So um, yeah, and, and its function is to support filmmakers uh, through their different stages uh, of development production and later on distribution and, and networking and connections and financing and all of that. So different programs um, exist in Cinephilia and each one of them is targeting a specific part of the, the process of filmmaking. What have you, I mean, I, I feel like it's a very bold thing to say, to do this right out of school. Like, I feel like Cinephilia is a project that somebody starts like 30 years into the in, into the business and they're like I guess I should give back but for you it's like on day one like all right yeah. <laughs> we're doing this together 
Yeah, you know, because um, I never felt a sense of community when I was, you know, studying film or even like growing up. I didn't feel that because I like grew up in a lot of different places. I've never maintained friendships and communities and things like that because of that, like jumping around all the time since, you know, a very early age. So for me, I wanted I wanted something that can just enrich a sense of community in a way and just you know I found that the more I can support other filmmakers I am feeling like I am doing something of you know of value I don't know it just it started from the beginning like that and um, it honestly started from like just giving little workshops and from the workshops I understood what the filmmakers need what not what the industry needs what the film because these are two different things what the industry needs and what the filmmakers need because the filmmakers are not always leading the industry so the talent is not always leading the industry so I you know um, I started from that place of you know let's maybe find a structure or like find it together not I mean find what do we need do we need a space to you know talk about our stories where we're being understood or where we don't have to justify uh, our stories. And I think I was able to achieve that with cinephilia. Yeah. Do you, over the um, years, it started like that over the years. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, do you feel like there is increased reception and increased um, appetite to watch these types of stories from people who have a connection to these huge regions, whether they are born and raised in the U.S. or born and raised wherever, um, in, over the course of your career, have you seen an increased appetite? Absolutely. I would say yes. I wouldn't say like it's just uh, very More significant. Foaming but it, at the mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of like yes, but we're very long. There's a long way to go. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. So the last question I want to get to before we talk about what's coming next for you is, um, what are some of the challenges? Um, I have up on the screen for those who are listening to the podcast, something about censor censorship. Um, what are some of the like persistent challenges that, that you face that somebody like me may not anticipate that is like a roadblock for you, um, as a filmmaker that maybe I'm blind to? No, um, I think there's um, like a, there's a gap between, I think that adds on to what I was saying earlier. There's a gap between the talent and the, the executives who are leading, calling the shots in the industry. There is a gap between the talent, I, filmmaker identity and the industry calling the shots. And that gap is related to um, the now the like what's hot now to talk about let's talk about that neglecting the fact that the now is you know is gonna be the past tomorrow and instead of like racing against time to tell the story of the now tell the story of the filmmaker who is living in the now whichever story they want to tell it's coming from the now it doesn't have to inform the now that you think is the now so does that make sense like you yeah. know that this is i think that's one of the biggest challenges i think it's a delicate one but it's 
it's kind of the one that creates the most frustration when you're creating work and you want to find the best way to produce that work or put that work out there and finding yourself having to justify why the story is important even if it doesn't inform the now that this person thinks is the now i'm the now i'm here you know so that's that's i think that's the biggest challenge for me honestly yeah yeah Okay. Speaking of your now, let's talk about, about Sherman. Um, what is Sherman? Sherman is a short film that was just released like two weeks ago. It's still very fresh. And it's a story that speaks to the delicacy of grief when we experience the grief um, and how we deal with that grief uh, in terms of loneliness and secrecy and how do we keep ourselves going and find hope in the tomorrow so this is you know this is like thematically what Sherman is about and it follows the story of um, a little boy who moves with his family to the states from Syria and uh, a, a black woman who lives in Long Island and they are neighbors a bond happens between uh, Sherman the woman and Osman the little boy where Sherman finds herself having to take on the responsibility of parenting this child. Uh, That's, that's like the the storyline of Sherman. And it just came out two weeks ago uh, at the Pan-African Film Festival. And now it's having a successful run. Yeah. Where, where can people watch this? Uh, We're going to start now. Now we just finished our like world premiere at Pan-African Film Festival and we're about to start the festival run. So I will be announcing more of that on social media. Okay. Um, I'm curious. I'm looking at the credits um, and it says uh, the story is done by somebody and the screenplay is uh, done by somebody else. Um, Can you just tell a little bit about how the movie came to, to be on your desk and how you got involved? Yeah, I was actually um, I was actually hired to direct this film by the producer uh, Mevlut Akaya, and there was a script that was written by Madeline Johnson, and the script uh, was written based on a story by the executive producer Ilter Aikash, and uh, Ilter wrote the story based on his personal life. So there's like a whole like you know there's a translation of a story that went from somebody's personal life uh, as an immigrant and into the hands of a producer. And the producer hired the writer, the screenwriter who wrote the script. And then the producer hired me to direct the, the, the film. And when I took the screenplay, we started, and they were looking for a filmmaker who had a, like a, an Arab background. So I can understand more of like the nuances of the culture, the language and all of that. Um, and the writer and one who specializes in children absolutely exactly (laughs) exactly you know but at the time when I went on board of Sherman I haven't shot Tallahassee yet so there there was I think that's bringing me all the children you know together (laughs) so yes all of a sudden I'm like directing children uh but it's really a joy it's really a joy directing children i would have to say with all these challenges but it's it just changes you as a human being on many levels i'd say yeah um so yeah that's how i came on board this project and and honestly the story kind of was left the original story was left behind 
after a while you start like walking away from the original story and start like i was saying earlier when you start a screenplay the first draft is one thing and then when you're done you're like you've changed even the core value of the story in one way or another sometimes that happens that happened in, in Sherman. So there was things where it started to change as we were working, me and the writer on the script and um, and the producer. And um, yeah, I was more working on the dynamics of the family, uh, the nuances, making sure it's authentic. It speaks to to uh, the family values and, and the, the cultural values that it holds. And the writer, she's a black writer, was more writing into the uh, the black culture uh, that exists in the film through the character of Sherman. Amazing. Okay, let's do the quick Q&A and then we may have a couple questions from the chat. Um, okay, the first question is, what have you been watching these days? I am watching right now The Anatomy of a Scandal. It's a show. Mm -hmm. And I'm I wasn't sure if I liked it at the start, but I kept giving it a chance. And then I was like, I'm hooked. And I liked it as I was, you know, the, the, it's very delicate, just dealing with the subject of um, uh, consent. I, I wanted to ask you earlier, um, who are some of your like favorite, or like if you had to give somebody a recommendation for like your favorite, like sci-fi, because um, uh, you have this like, you have this, dream-like quality your sort of like fantasy quality in all of your films that I've seen even though they're like very much grounded in in mm. in contemporary life like they're very um they are very uh um reminiscent of daily life mm. but there is this like dream-like quality that relates to science fiction you know like I think and, and again, I'm, I'm not someone who always gives references of films or, or um, and I would say like, I haven't watched every single film in the history of films, but um, filmmakers, like I really respect filmmakers, um, uh, the, 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 the identity of filmmakers like Andrew Tarkovsky, um, uh, uh, Guillermo del Toro, uh, sure. cool. Stanley Kubrick, th these filmmakers have really done something wonderful with the genre, with the sci-fi genre, and also Amazing. the visual components of the genre. They really challenged, challenged that genre. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, we'll keep going. Um, who would you love to shadow for a day, past or present? Um, I don't know. Shadow for a day, I mean, I don't know. I have to think about that. I don't know who I would want to shadow for a day. Um, there's a lot of amazing filmmakers out there, and I just I any dancers who you'd be mean, like, oh my god. I would if if Abbas Kiarostami was still alive, I would have loved to shadow Abbas Kiarostami for a day on set. Okay, there you go. Just because I would learn from him on a human level a lot of things. I think. Cool. Yeah. What do people most misunderstand about your work? uh the identity there's always an identity crisis when people watch my films they're like but what is this is this like arab is this american is this this so there's always this question or like you're not enough of either i've had that comment like happen a lot you're, you're not american you're not arab you're not enough of either so your films are confusing so that's a misunderstanding i think about my work perfect yeah um 
outside of your profession, um, whose work inspires you? Um, hmm. Wow. <laughs> outside of my profession, I think... Uh, I, I don't think there's a specific profession, I would say, or like... Like I'm very inspired by, um, you know, scientific essays. Um, really? I'm very inspired. Yeah, I'm very inspired by actually, and that's something that comes from my mother because she's a lawyer, uh, by like cases like that. There's like reading about cases. And when my mom starts telling me about a case that she has, uh, it's always like super intriguing because it's like there's such a huge hook. It's like a plot. You're watching a plot unfold. And yeah, there's the anatomy it's of the scandal. similar to what I do, actually. It's super similar to what I do. You're like writing the story, but yeah. from your, you know, um, yeah, these are because I was, I, I think one of the moments that most inspired me is watching my mother at court giving her speech and defending her, her, uh, her client and just like hearing the storytelling element. I was like, probably this is where I got my storytelling from. <laughs> she, she's a, she's a performer. <laughs> she's doing slam poetry. Exactly, exactly. So I'm like, yeah, that inspires me a lot. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. The last question, <coughs> excuse me, the last question I wanna ask you before we move on to the questions are, what does your family think about your um your films um, do they get them yes absolutely we've had conversations we always like whenever i have a new film we gather in the living room at my mom's home in detroit watch they watch my films before anybody else they even watch them before they're colored so they get like the raw thing and, and, and i just get their feedback on the story like just like that and um and i'm I, I have, you know, my siblings are just brilliant. Everyone is so different. So I get to have amazing feedback from them. Uh, I think my mom has the purest like feedback to give me. Like if she doesn't understand something, she would tell me like, but what, ha what is this? Like, I don't understand any of this. And that's a good sign because yeah. most probably there will be a lot of that in my audience. And I, you know, I want to cater to making sure that they understand something or they take away something. So yeah, they, they're very supportive of my work, I have to say. After like Tallahassee, this is a stupid question, but I can't imagine that your mom wouldn't be insecure slightly, be like, are you talking about me? <laughs> you know, honestly, um, my mom is very different than any of the characters uh, in, in the in Tallahassee. Honestly, my family is different from the family that is portrayed mm. in Tallahassee, um, just because we had a very different journey. Um, yeah. But okay, yeah, so this... she recognizes probably her mom. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, okay, so I sort of stepped a little on one of the questions from Dahlia, but I'm gonna add them together. So Dahlia on the call asks, what has the response been by Arab elders on these films, older family members, question mark, also, what do you find is the best method um, or best way to dip your toes in filmmaking for somebody who is not a filmmaker? Mm. Hi, Dalia. Okay. Um, hi. So I'll say hi. <laughs> hello. We still have to meet someday. Um, I, so to answer your first question, um, 
the so the the response of elderly um to my films i think the the most challenging film was i say dust uh because of the dynamic of two women in love was a little bit challenging to accept or like having a question mark around it or like what is why are we telling this story why are you telling the story especially that when the film was censored it was like a thing like why are you putting yourself in the situation um so but i also like have a lot of respect to you know to their feelings and like the the way they would feel about certain things so we would have a conversation but that was the the film that was the most controversial in terms of like storytelling for um elder uh generation um the i don't know if that answered your question right that was the question the the next question about uh, was it about what like, um what do you find is the best best method to dip your toes into filmmaking hmm. i honestly i don't believe in two things advice and method uh i don't i don't think like you you would any advice is a personal it's coming from a personal experience so your experience will be very different than somebody else so their advice might not apply to you but you can definitely see like what's you know what it, what from that you can take and in terms of method filmmaking is one of the things that like you have to create your own method in everything you do there's like a foundation for sure but there's also the you method that you have to like um, build with yourself. And I think this is, you know, this is the best way to go about it. So I don't think there's a method, but the one thing I would say is just like make the films, like not, not to wait for somebody to make your films for you or to wait for films to get financed to be made. Cause I see that being one of the mistakes that, you know, filmmakers do early on in their career. And then they keep waiting, waiting, waiting and then nothing happens because you have to start you nobody can start anything for you that's the one method i would say that needs to be a method okay cool um didian thanks so much for doing this i'm really really happy that we got to explore the films together and finally to dive in together on them yeah me too thank you so much for having me this was so much fun and thank you for everyone attending Okay, everybody, this is going to go up on YouTube and on our podcast tomorrow. And uh, we will include the links to all the films in the description so you can check them out at your leisure. Great. All right, everybody. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, go to hafikita.com where you can learn about our Zoom events, our live events in 30 different chapters around the world, our social media presence, and our podcasts and YouTube stuff. You should know that everything we do is all towards a mission of converting passive interest in the histories and cultures of the Arab world into an active intellectual curiosity. By listening to this, you're a part of that movement, so thank you for being here. If you'd like to support our work, go to afikda.com support and join the hundreds of people around the world who make this work possible. Thanks.